0: 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 35 and going to 49. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed he gives his own body. Not all flesh is the same. Some people have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind, and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, stars another, and stars differ from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised to imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. So Paul gives us a lot to think about and consider as he talks about the resurrection body in his ongoing discussion for the church in Corinth to understand the resurrection, the reality of it. And as we look at that, what time of year is it? It's, it's springtime, right? You know, in some ways it's springtime, you know, whether it's early summer or that. But it's the springtime. Who doesn't love springtime this time of year, right, where everything's going green? Things are starting to grow. We love it, don't we? I bet a bunch of you have been planting. Who's who's started planting here in the last week or two? Yeah, yeah a bunch. In the garden, whether it's vegetables, flowers, whatever. It's always fun to get in the soil and work it and see what comes up. And farmers, of course, are getting the fields to to start their work on another year of of farming. Getting out there, planting, doing what they do to grow the crops that feed us. And, you know, when we do this, where do plants start? Plants start from where? They plant, they start from seeds. That's the chart of why you want to get in by, you know, mid-May, otherwise yields start going down. But you know, when, when, what do we do with, with crops? You plant them from seeds. You get the seeds in the ground, and out of that grows a plant. And so most get their start. You know, if you plant flower seeds or carrots and vegetable seeds, bushes or trees, you get that what you want. How often do you go to the garden store? Have you ever gone to the garden store or the seed store and said, give me a pack of miscellaneous seeds? Right? No one ever does that. Miscellaneous seeds—you don't know what you're going to get. You don't want to have the rou- the roulette wheel with with mixes and that, because too often weeds and junk will grow in that. Right? I read a, I read an article about a couple years ago how in one batch of seeds somehow weeds got mixed in with that, and it just got a foothold in in one one county, and it was just a, a disaster because of what happened. Seeds getting in the wrong place. I don't know if in your garden or in your yard, the grass, my grass is starting to turn green. It's not growing much, but, you know, the weeds tend to grow. Ever notice how the weeds have that ability to just start growing right away, even before the things that you want? You know, when you plant something, such as flowers, let's say you plant marigolds, what do you want to come up? You want marigolds to come up. When you plant carrots, what do you expect to see? You expect to see carrots coming up, right? You're not planting carrots and then thinking, huh, look at that, there's onions. No, when we plant something, we expect to get what we plant, right? And you say, what's Paul getting at here? Well, Paul is building on this idea of what's plant and what comes up, of what grows and what is in the world around us to help us see in an even a deeper way, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that Paul is building on this teaching of the natural world order so that we can understand his message, his truth of the gospel. The gospel, as we've saying along, means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ, of his life, of his death, of his burial, and praise God, his resurrection. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried And on the third day, he was raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. This is the good news. And for Paul, this truth, this amazing development, this amazing occurrence that happened in reality changes everything. This is a moment, a point in time in history that changes our life. And for Paul, it transformed his life. And he says it is for all of us to be changed and transformed if we believe this good news of the gospel, of Jesus who died for our sins, was buried and rose again. Building on this good news, Paul is teaching us as we've seen about the resurrection, different aspects of the resurrection, so that we can be convinced of it, we can be encouraged by it, and we can live into its glorious truth. And after revealing the truth of Christ's resurrection, Paul turns his attention here in this section really to the resurrection body. That the resurrection happens. It occurred in Christ, it will happen for those with him. Paul's established that. Now it's about the resurrection, resurrected body, our glorified bodies. And what is that like? Because within the church in Corinth, there were some doubts. There were some doubters, people who weren't believing what Paul was teaching. And Paul says, no, no, understand... What God has done for you in Christ. And he really wants those who doubt, who are uncertain, who stated, but when the body goes in the ground, it decays. How then can God bring back from the dead a decayed body? What kind of body can God put together from the decay? Paul makes it clear it's not a resurrection of the same, but it's a resurrection of a new glorified body resurrected bodies are changed and transformed. And in these verses, he addresses the concerns, the doubts, the misunderstandings that people have about the resurrection of Christ. So that as Christ died and rose again, so shall we who believe in him. Paul seeks to help us understand the grand implications of the resurrection. For the resurrection is a real, yes, I die in Christ to live again in a new resurrected body. And so in this, we want to look at a couple things in the text. For in Christ I die, I die in Christ, to live anew through the resurrection of Christ. And Paul gives some illustrative analogies in this section to teach us through these verses so that we can more clearly understand and be encouraged by the resurrection. Let's look at first. My resurrection is disclosed in the natural order. The natural order. That's what verses 35 through 39 talk about. Some will say, "How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come?" That's what the questions are. Some of the questions have: How are they raised? What kind of body will it be? They're uncertain about it. Paul doesn't give much credit to these people because what does he say? Started verse 36: How foolish! How foolish! Now, he's not saying don't ask questions, but Paul has already taught the church, and as he's taught the church about the resurrection, and he's already gone over these, some people are still doubting because they can't wrap their minds around the resurrection. How can, you, how can a body die and then come back to life in this form? How is that possible? They, they can't understand it. And Paul says to the church, the problem here is your lack of faith and unwillingness to believe what you've already been taught. And that's the issue. He's not berating them for serious questions, but that they would accept the message when it's taught to them. It's not the case of their intellectual ponderings as it was a lack of willingness to believe the teachings of Christ, the the lack of faith. And so Paul directs our attention to sowing in order to illustrate his point. Planted seeds, what do they do? When you plant a seed, what happens? You plant a seed, and it becomes not another seed, but it becomes a whole new plant, right? The seed, what does the seed do? When you get a seed off a plant, how long can that seed be in your pocket of your coat that's hanging in the closet? Indefinite period of time, it seems like, doesn't it? But when you put it back in the ground, it can come to life and grow and become a whole new plant. The seed needs to what? To die, become dormant or inactive. And he talks about wheat here. Wheat, full of seeds, the plant dies, ceases to grow and be living itself. And what do we do? We take those dry little pieces or seeds and put them in a place until that time where we plant them again, and then it becomes changed and becomes a new plant. Out of a little seed comes a larger living organism. And Paul, what he's doing is he's taking this natural process that we see all around us, that we experience every spring, to help us understand a little bit more about the resurrection of Christ. And Paul takes this natural order, which we see on a yearly basis, death before new life, and applies it to us as the followers of Christ. Verses 38 and 39. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals another, birds another, fish another. And Paul says there's various types of eyes. In other words, other various types of living organisms. We don't plant seeds and get goats. That's not what happens, right? You don't plant a wheat seed and out comes a goat. No, no. Everyone is different in their type. We all go through the same cycle though live for a while, give birth, to the young in some form, and then eventually, sooner or later, die. And the cycle goes on, continuing to our day. It hasn't changed since creation, Paul's day, and into ours. And Paul isn't dwelling on death as much as he is using it to illustrate that death is the avenue to new life. The fact of transformation through death and revival of some sort imparts new life, energy, and spirit to something. The point in all of this is transformation. In death, there's always change. There are different types of bodies as the various flesh Paul expands upon and points for us to understand. It's the natural order in creation, in nature. The cycle of life and death and then ongoing life. Life yields to death, which opens the door to new life. And even in, de- even in death, we find life can be helped. Maybe... An illustration, for death can lead to new life. Notice this kind of fish, bullhead. When, I, when my brothers and I were young, one day, you know, my dad decided, hey, we'll go out fishing for a morning at a lake not too far away. And so we had visions of nice sunnies and panfish. Northern pike, how about a walleye? Oh, we had great visions. And so as we cast our rods and lines in and got some fish bites, guess what we got? We got bullheads. That's all that we got. We got a bunch of them. I don't know, six, eight, ten bullheads, whatever it was. No, We didn't even get any uh, you know, sunfish, much less walleyes. So we had these fish, and it's kind of exciting to catch them, but rough fish are stuff that you don't, they're not supposed to throw them back in the lake. These are the kind of fish you don't want in your lake. And so we had to take them out. And, of course, she had to bring them home to show mom, right? Show mom, oh, look at us, aren't we great fisher people? And so you, you bring them home, show mom, she's like, okay, get them out of the house. <laughs> but one of our neighbors heard about it. She said, hey, bring them down here. So we brought them to our neighbor, and she said, plant them here by my tomato plants. And I, you know, as a kid, I think, why in the world would you bury a bullhead by your tomato plants? That makes no sense to me. But we did it. We got rid of them. And when fall came around, she went on and on, this neighbor, about how these tomatoes were the best tomatoes she's ever had. The biggest, the tastiest, the best. It was incredible. And that little light dawned in my mind. Wow, death sometime leads to life. For the in the death, that that fish as a decayed was fertilizer, nutrients for this plant that was growing, which brought forth the produce and brought forth great life. And in it, we see death yielding to life. And this is such a process that goes on in our world, right? But it's when I realize that death can point to life. Death can lead to new life. And why is the world structured this way? Why did God make the world this way? And I think it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that even in the natural order of things, death leads to life, that we would see that in Jesus Christ, in his death, we have resurrection and new life. The most important and crucial thing for us, that God's creation in the natural world points to resurrection. It points to new life. Jesus Christ, that is the standard for us. And through his death comes resurrection. Resurrection and through the natural order of death we see new life coming, it leads and points to Jesus in his resurrection for you and me, and that we too can join him in it. The natural order points to what God, in the larger sense, has determined before the creation of the world. God uses his natural order to teach us about the resurrection of Christ. Verse 36, "...but what you sow does not come to life unless it dies." Paul uses this of the natural order to point us to the spiritual implications. Well, secondly, my resurrection is displayed in the celestial order. Not just the natural order, but in the heavens. Not just on earth, but also in the heavens, Paul goes on to say. Paul is expanding his teaching here to go beyond nature and the natural world we experience to the earthly, our hev- earthly existence to the things in the heaven. Look at 40 and 41. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun is one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another. And the stars differ in splendor. Paul speaks now here of the heavenlies, what's going on. Expanding it beyond us, outside of our earth, to the universe, to the world around us. And in it, he says, there are, in the celestial, in the heavens, there are different kinds of splendor. And what do we see? We see in the in the heavens, the sun has one sort of glory and splendor, the bright sun, you know, on a, on a beautiful Saturday morning where it's quiet, and peaceful, and warm, and the sun comes up, there's a glory to that, isn't it? The earth, the beauty of the earth has one kind of splendor, does it not? But there's also a splendor to what? The moon in its... It's kind of starkness, but it's light in the night sky. Well, the stars, all in different appearance to us. But Paul here isn't just merely giving us an astronomy lesson. He's using these things that we notice, that we see around us, to help us understand about the resurrection body by using our perspective on different heavenly bodies to show that as these are different, so is our earthly body from our resurrection body. The bodies, there's similarities, but yet they're different. They're not the same. And Paul says it to, con- to, con- to contrast and combat those who say, no, this earthly body that decays, how can it be ra- raised to life? And Paul says, no, God is changing it to something different. And saying that as the heavenly bodies are different, so our spiritual body is different than our earthly body. They're different. They have their different perspective, different places. And we look at the things in the sun, the stars, and the moon, and we marvel at them. It's around here, around here at night. Maybe I bet you can see more stars, more lights in the sky than you can in an urban area because there isn't as much light. But you see the different stars and you see the, the ones that are brighter. If you get a telescope and you look at the planets and the stars, it's amazing the first time you look with your own eyes in the telescope. It doesn't have to be an overly big one. And you can look at Saturn and see the rings around them. You go, whoa, that's really something. That's unique and different. Or you look at Mars and you see that redness to the planet. There, may, there are similarities, but yet they're different. And Paul is using all of this to help us understand, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Our physical bodies of the earth are be a different kind than our, our resurrection bodies. The heavenly bodies point to the resurrection of a different type, to not just the resurrection of our bodies, but of, of Christ, but our bodies, First 42 through44. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is so imperishable, it's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. And Paul uses this series of couplets to help us see that the earthly bodies and the resurrected bodies are not one and the same. We're sown perishable. In other words, what? We we decay. There's weakness. But how are we raised? We're raised imperishable. Where we cannot be taken down, we cannot weaken. We can last forever. We're sown in dishonor. We're raised in glory. In other words, in sin and in loss. In, in, in Roman times, it has to do with citizenship often. When someone died, they would lose their citizenship. Because at death was that point, you'd lose it. So beca- you lose that honor of citizenship. But we here have the citizenship of where? Of heaven, of eternal life in God's kingdom forever. That's that that honor. Sown in weakness, the third of these couplets, raised in power, that decaying, that aging, that weakness that we experience here in life. In heaven, these resurrection bodies are untouched by age, by ailments, by weakness, by faltering or harm or hurt of any kind sown a natural body raised a spiritual body in other words suitable for its place the natural body is suitable for this earth but it's not not right for the eternal kingdom of god we must have a better more glorified body the ones just like jesus christ had these new bodies are not merely a bit more than what we have at the present But Paul is taking pains to show us the difference in the bodies. As a difference of the heavenly glory, so we have the difference in the bodies of natural, of earthly, and spiritual. How's it done? Paul's answer is through Christ, by the power of God. He doesn't get into the specifics of how God's going to do it. What matters is that it will be done by God. What kind of body will we have but a much greater one? From perishable... To imperishable. That's a big difference, isn't it? From dishonor to glory. From weakness to power. From natural to spiritual. See how he's trying to tell these folks who doubt, say, no, don't see them as a better version of our earthly bodies, but this is something entirely different. A glorified body that God has, will give you in the resurrection. What kind of body will we have? A much greater one. And no comparison between the two bodies will really work because the new one is so much more splendored. A different body, not a natural body, still with weaknesses, but a supernatural body. When we think of that, some people think, well, are we going to have superpowers then? You know, there's always that game of what superpower would you like to have that kids of all ages play? You know, is it strength or flight or or going fast, or whatever it is. But when we look at that, Superman has nothing on us. Because, in fact, we leave him in the dirt. Because Superman, as great as he was, he's subject to kryptonite. And it weakens him. These these glorified bodies, the bodies such as Christ have, have no weaknesses. They're, they have no place where they can be attacked or done with, done away with because they're supernatural in the sense of their spiritual glorified bodies. They are of God's spiritual resurrected order, not better human flesh or worldly bodies, but they're made of eternal stuff, eternal stuff. So we sowing and reaping, disclosed by the natural order displayed in the celestial order, demonstrated thirdly, by a res- representative's order. And what do we mean by that? Paul here, as he teaches about the bodies and resurrection, he says we're people of hope and a future. And here he goes back to that first man, Adam, as he's mentioned this several times in this section, verses 48 and 49. As we look at that, we see what he's saying. He says, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. So what he's saying, going back to the very first man in creation, Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. In other words, from the dust of the ground, the things of this earth, God made the first humans. And they became a living thing when God breathed into Adam and Eve the, the breath of life. And they became our first parents. You know, one study I saw said if we break humans down into their basic elements, their earthly body is worth $9.83. In other words, there's not like gold and platinum in our bodies. Things that are really worthy, they're made from the dust. But it's when God breathed into us, he gave us life. But we're made from the things of the earth. And in this, Paul is trying to help us understand as we're made for the things of earth, we're set for this earth, but for heaven, we need to be made of something even better. And so he's illustrating this in like Adam, but then in the second one, we'll be like Christ. Adam was our first representative, our first representative, representative for all of us who are living beings. And in Romans 5.12, it says, as sin came in the world, and death through sin, so all of us share in that death. And praise God that we will be not of a better dust, but made of heavenly stuff. Praise be to God. And in this illustration, we see as so are our representative Adam, as we are representative Adam, as we know the the weaknesses and the trials and the pain and the sickness of the human bodies, we understand that. Verse 48, So as was the earthly man, so will those of earth. But also, as is the heavenly man, so those who are in heaven. As we represent Adam, as Adam represents us and we share in that, so for those who put our faith in Christ, we'll share with Jesus in his resurrected glorious body. We will be like him. He is a representative for us, as Adam is and we know it, so Jesus will be for eternal life. Maybe you remember a few years ago, a West Virginia representative of Robert Byrd. Stories about Robert Byrd are legendary because there's maybe no one in the history of being in, the, in Congress who was better at getting monies to his home state. You know, as everyone, as everyone puts in taxes, he was able to bring back, for every tax dollar that came from West Virginia, he got $2 back, in federal spending. Well, do the math, that doesn't work if everyone wants to do that, does it? No, because if somebody gets $2, somebody's getting 50 cents on a dollar. But Robert Byrd was a good representative for his state, even if maybe that isn't helpful in a larger countrywide. But it's helping us understand. That's why he was known as the king of pork. This guy brought the bacon home to his home state, he was representative. And as Adam is our first representative, so we can have the representation of Christ, Jesus Christ. Adam, who was given authority over creation, tempted, failed, was infected humanity with sin, disobeyed God, authority went to Satan, but praise God, our second representative, Jesus, who has authority over all creation, was tempted and didn't sin. And he gave us the opportunity to be forgiven of our sin. His obedience to God leads to life. And he took that authority back from Satan so that we can have life in his name. He is our representative, the great representative for us. And as Paul says, so as it was with Adam, he's our representative, so it can be in Christ, so that we can share in his supernatural, glorified, resurrected body. That makes verse 49 tremendous good news. That is our representative. Listen to this. And just as we have borne the image of the earthy man, we all know that. So shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So shall we bear the image of Christ, his resurrected body. What are you worried about, church in Corinth? About decay? Don't you see God brought Jesus back from the dead in this new glorified body? So we will be like that as well. We have a future, and you know what? It's awesome. For all who are have faith in Jesus Christ, this is to give you hope. Christ connectedness to our life and future life is through the resurrection. And Christ's resurrection is the model for our resurrection. Not a better human body, but a wholly different type with different splendor. Because God has done the work. Jesus is risen, ensuring our own resurrection. Christ's resurrection is the model for our own resurrection. We don't get better human bodies. We get this resurrected body like Christ that's glorification as the scriptures talk about understanding this for our future enables us how to live boldly for christ because this is our certain future for everyone whose faith and trust is in jesus christ and in every single aspect of life we can know and live into it so as we look around the whole of creation we look to the earth We look to seeds, we look to plants, to new life. We look outside to the heavens. All of it points to what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So questions about life and resurrection have been answered by Paul. And now he says, we are to be people who what? Who live boldly into Jesus Christ. So as you go out and see the green grass, as you see the the seeds planted and the plants coming up, realize and remember all of this points from death to new life that new life in christ which you and i share through faith in him so let us be a people here at bethel who live fully into the resurrection of jesus christ for god is bringing life out of death praise be to his name amen let's pray oh lord we thank you for what paul reveals from you to us lord as we see the heavens as we see the earth. May we see new life and that we share in it through you. Lord, thank you for your kindness, for your grace and mercy, and for your promise. Lord, give us the hope of new life in Christ, we pray through Jesus. Amen.
1: The rolling thunder Thy power throughout The universe displayed Then sings my soul God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin, then sings my song, shall come with a shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow. to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art.
0: Lord God, you are a great God who can turn death to life through your mercy and your power. So Lord, help us to be those who live in light of the resurrection of Christ, Lord, for our life now and forevermore. We love you and praise you. Send us forth, we ask in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.